Welcome to Spark, a health and wellness podcast where we teach high-achieving superwomen how to put their health and happiness back on the top of the to-do list. I'm Angela Wagner, a yoga studio owner, life and wellness coach, mama of two, and wife of one. This week, I will take another deep dive into nutrition with Taylor Stoll. And today, we're going to be discussing the importance of the gut and answer common questions and misconceptions about gluten, depression, anxiety, your immune system, and more. Doesn't that sound interesting? So if you haven't listened to the last podcast that Taylor did on general nutrition, please go back and listen to that first because there's just really good foundational information that we'll probably refer to in this podcast. But let me tell you a little bit about Taylor. She's amazing. She is a functional medicine dietitian and a certified LEAP therapist trained in food sensitivities to produce individualized anti-inflammatory diets. She owns her own practice and works out of Carpathia Collaborative, a cutting-edge functional medicine clinic in Dallas, Texas. She is also the dietitian for Dallas Sports Recovery and D1 Training Gym, where she sees recreational athletes, professional athletes, and everything in between. She specializes in gut health, autoimmune disease, and inflammatory conditions. Welcome back, Taylor. Hello, good to be back. Oh my gosh, so I'm sure everyone still digesting, pun intended, (laughs) your last podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we talked about a lot. We bounced around a lot. There's there's so much that you can talk about, like even just an hour, I, I could probably do a four-hour podcast with no problems. Oh yeah, we could talk forever. So tell me, we didn't talk about this in the last one. What is a, do you say LEAP therapist or L-E-A-P? Yeah, LEAP. So it's a program based on MRT testing. So there's a lot of food sensitivity testing out there, but almost all of it is IgG food sensitivity testing. And so that's an antibody that our body makes is IgG in exposure to a food. But the problem with IgG testing is our body actually makes those antibodies as like a natural response. It's not necessarily that the food is problematic. It's just our immune system tagging it for memory. So it can be protective. So if you eat like a ton of tomatoes and you do this IgG food sensitivity test and IgG markers are super high for tomatoes, it's probably just the fact that you consume it a lot and your body's like, oh, this is normal. We eat tomatoes all the time. Don't attack this. So I have clients come to me and they've done these food sensitivity tests and like it's all the things that I eat all the time. And I, I explain to them kind of the mechanism behind that and that that's, that's normal. That's what I would expect. MRT testing is different because it's looking at changes in the liquid to solid ratio of the cell. So we know that when a cell becomes like inflamed and, and breaks down, that ratio changes And when a cell breaks down, there's inflammation. So we're able to see what foods and food chemicals are basically inflammatory to someone's body. So it's a really cool test. If you're going to do food sensitivity testing, do MRT. So it's really important too, though, because I always thought if if you're sensitive to something, then you're stuck with it for life. But that's not necessarily true, right? No, right. Yeah. So the the testing is not, and that's something else that happens often. Someone will come in, they'll be like, okay, like I did this test. I've been avoiding these foods for 10 years, but food sensitivities change. So our immune system has like a short-term and a long-term memory and the the food sensitivities, yes, you would want to remove those to allow for healing. But the point is, is not just removing those things, but calming down the immune system. Like, why is your body attacking those things? It's probably that the gut is compromised. It's, it's leaky. It's, 
permeable for some reason. And that's why your body's attacking those things. So you not only remove the foods, but also fix the underlying problem. Yes. And then you can possibly eat those things again, which there's exactly. hope on the other side of it, right? Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people that I've talked to at least are scared to even find out these things because then they think like, well, then I, it's like something that I have to do for the rest of my life and I'm not willing to do that. But it's so nice to know that you can actually, which we're going to talk about very soon is like healing the gut, what that means. Right. And then, then you can introduce reintroduce a lot of these foods. Okay. So let's just start with the basics. What is the gut? So when you talk about the gut, Mm -hmm. because everyone just thinks stomach, right? So what is it? So it's, it's top to bottom. So the gut actually starts like in your mouth. That's the beginning of your digestive tract technically. And then, you know, all the way to the bottom, like the whole way through. So it's your mouth, your esophagus, your stomach, your small and large intestine. A lot of times when we talk about like leaky gut and intestinal permeability, the focus is on the small and large intestine. That's where we're seeing lots of issues. Like we're not seeing a lot of issues with the esophagus. That's not usually a problem. It's the large and small intestine that we're kind of hyper-focused on. But it is, it is everything top to bottom technically. Okay. Now tell us what is leaky gut because it sounds gross. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think it's important to preface our gut lining is literally one cell thick. So it's pretty fragile. Like it's not surprising that leaky gut is becoming a big issue. It's not only going to be affected by like the food that we're eating, but but also things like ibuprofen. Like if you're taking a lot of ibuprofen, that can affect the gut. If you're taking antibiotics, that can affect it. Stress even can cause leaky gut. We're supposed to have these really tight junctions. So I'm a super visual person. I wish I could like show you guys a diagram because that's something I do in my practice a lot is show you guys what this looks like. But just picture one cell thick, this lining, and all the cells are super close together. It's the only thing that is between the inside of your gut and the rest of your body. And so what can happen is if that's compromised, you can start to get these gaps in between the cells. And the lining is supposed to be super selective. So it's really strange to try to wrap your mind around this, but it is our way of exposing ourselves to the outside world. Like what we put in our mouth, our our gut decides what enters our body and what stays outside of our body and is, you know, removed later on. So if the gut is compromised and there's these gaps in between the cells, then things can leak through. So if you're ingesting something that's contaminated with like mold or has like some bad bacteria in it or maybe contains heavy metals, then those things can leak through into circulation. And when that happens, the immune system is like, what the heck is this? Get this out of here. I don't know what this foreign molecule is. And it starts to attack it. And we'll, we'll talk about kind of the ways that that can manifest, but it's a problem. So leaky gut is a real thing. It's not just some made up term. It's like very heavily backed by research. Like there are research studies showing that it's possible and showing the implications of that affect a lot of different systems in the body, which we'll, we'll delve into in a little bit. But So let's talk about that. You said like it's a real thing and obviously like a lot Mm -hmm. of what you guys work with with Carpathia, which I love, is they're like, we're going to work on the gut and healing before. Like everybody has to go through this process, which I love. But 
I've actually heard conventional medicine doctors say it's not a real thing. And I'm like, why is that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of conventional medicine doctors. They're seeing 25 to 30 people in a day. They're super slammed. And the last thing they have time to do is go home and look up nutrition research. And so they are not aware of the research. And so they just kind of dismiss it and say it's not a real thing. But there is definitely a lot of research out there and it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem. And so more and more research is coming out. So the research is definitely there. Okay. Well, and what we'll do in the show notes is I'll have you send me a graphic of what the leaky gut looks like. We can put the picture in there and then maybe we'll link to a couple of articles or research studies that, yeah, that just helps people kind of wrap their brain around it. Cause it took me a while to really understand what it actually was. Yeah. Okay. So how do you know if you have leaky gut? There's actually testing that you can do. So we can kind of have an idea of if it's going on just based on like your health history. So like I used to have a lot of intestinal permeability. That's, I guess, this scientific term for leaky gut. I took a lot of ibuprofen when I was in college. I was running track at the time and ended up with a lot of injuries. And so I was popping ibuprofen all the time and I ended up developing leaky gut. So we can kind of piece together like, is it likely that that's happening based on things that you've done in the past? Have you been on a lot of antibiotics? We talked about this in the first podcast, but in functional medicine, we're even looking way back to like when you were born, like were you breastfed? Were you bottle fed? Because that can play a role too in how well the gut's going to function and, and if you're more predisposed to getting leaky gut. So that can kind of clue us in on if we want to test for it. But there, there are tests and we use that test pretty often at Carpathia where my practice. And so we're able to see not only do you have leaky gut, but also to what degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like for me, a lot of my issues started 12-ish years ago and that's when my gluten sensitivity kicked in and I had had knee surgery. And up until the point of my knee surgery, they had given me like just loads of anti-inflammatories and it was like yeah. Celebrex, like heavy stuff mm-hmm. to the point of where I got ulcers. And to this day, if I took one Advil, my stomach would literally feel like it's burning inside. Yeah. So I'm like, well, clearly I have leaky gut then, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. That is a sign. <laughs> yeah. But no one told me that. They just said, you know, yeah. you just have to take this medicine. Your ulcer, ulcer will heal and you'll be fine. Right. Yeah. Yep. They don't really explain that when you're, yeah. And I wasn't told that before, you know, I went to the doctors and I was like, my knee is really bothering me. And they're like, yep, take some ibuprofen and go go to practice. I'm like, okay, (laughs) it's doing some damage. It actually, when you take ibuprofen, so there are two COX, there's like a COX-1 and COX-2 system in your body and it works on both. And so one is responsible for inflammation. So it works on one and it's like, oh, inflammation's down, not in as much pain, but it also works on the other. It's a COX-2 inhibitor too. And so that is actually responsible for producing like a mucus that coats the gut lining and protects it. So it breaks it down. And that's why over time you can develop those ulcers, like you said. Mm, Okay. So how do you fix the leaky gut? Like what do people do if they suspect they have it? Yeah. So there's something called the 5R protocol. That's a very like comprehensive way to fix leaky gut. So the 5Rs are remove, replace, re-inoculate, repair, and rebalance. The first four have to do with food specifically. So First, we want to remove whatever's aggravating the gut lining. So food can be aggravating. There are certain things. And I know last time we talked about this for a bit, what the autoimmune paleo diet is. That diet is 
pretty much removing anything that's aggravating. So it's removing things like gluten and dairy, nuts and seeds, things that are not like nuts and seeds, for example, they're not inherently bad foods, but they can be aggravating to the gut lining, they can irritate it. And so for a period of time, it is helpful to cut those things out to speed up the healing process. Also, like things like the ibuprofen, those would want to be removed because those can be aggravating too. And so we're removing anything that can be potentially aggravating, but it's not only about removing, we also want to replace. So you want to make sure that your, those cells of the gut lining are, are nourished by like really nutrient dense foods, things like bone broth that have a really high like glycine content that's helpful for healing that gut lining, getting enough nutrients in from food so that we can rebuild the gut lining. Um, the third one was re-inoculate. So that's talking about um, probiotics, like good bacteria. Uh, a lot of times when I see leaky gut, I see imbalances of like yeast and, and bacteria and fungi. And so we have to help rebalance that. So we can use supplements, but the food piece is also super important too. So I love my fermented foods. So things like sauerkraut or maybe like some like coconut yogurt, kimchi, things like that that contain probiotics are super important for getting that bacteria balance back to where it should be. The fourth is repair. So again, using food, so things like bone broth, also supplements. So you can use things like L-glutamine, aloe vera, marshmallow, slippery elm. We carry a supplement line that, that has a powder that contains all of those things. And so that's a way to kind of speed up the repairing process of, of the gut lining. And then the fifth one is rebalance. So that's actually more along the lines of like lifestyle stuff. So stress management, sleep, movement, exercise, things like that. Because we can get the guy the, the diet in check, but if we're super stressed out, we're not sleeping at all, we're exercising too much, or we're not exercising at all, if the diet is perfect, but all of those other things are out of whack, it's not going to be nearly as effective. So super important to, again, take a functional medicine approach and look at the whole body, not just one piece, not just diet in order to heal the gut lining, which is a new concept for some people. Yeah, important to look at the whole body. That makes so much sense. And I would just say to you guys, if you, I mentioned this in the last podcast with you that I am one of your clients and just save up the money and go see her. I mean, not that it's that expensive, but a lot of times like, you know, mentally, it's so interesting to me. It's the same thing with like a yoga membership. Some people will say like, it's so expensive. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, you just dropped like how much money on your hair and your totally. fake nails and <laughs> yeah. you know, like a sushi dinner. And right. it's so easy. So if you just, you know, it's, I think it's just really about reframing and reprioritizing. Um, mm -hmm. But I think everyone should make an appointment with you. And seriously, because <laughs> like you. when you talk about nutrition as a whole being the foundation of your health, and we're going to get mm -hmm. into some more about specifics, like I think people are going to be, some people are going to be really surprised about some of the things that nutrition affects. Mm -hmm. It's like, we like can't be healthy without good nutrition, right? So it's, right. it's key. Yeah. And that's a, a lot of people end up in something, we, we call it Repairvite. So it's a, a program that is very 
a very intense gut healing program. So you do a version of the autoimmune paleo diet. There's a few small tweaks, and then there's also a few supplements that are on board to really speed up the gut healing process. And even if someone comes in for like migraines or they come in with depression, they're they're usually kind of confused when the physician that they see is like, oh, you need to go to this like gut healing class. They're like, but I'm not, my stomach doesn't bother me. But it's, it's critical before you implement any other healing modalities, you have to make sure that the gut is in check and that it's all healed up before we start incorporating other healing modalities. So definitely a foundation of health. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So that's a great segue to the next topic, which is how Mm -hmm. does the gut impact our immune system? Yeah. So interestingly, it's called gut associated lymphoid tissue. Basically the immune system in our gut, it's 75 or 70% of the entire immune system. So majority of your immune system is actually in your gut. Like I said before, it's the main point of contact with the outside world. So the things that we're being exposed to, like bacteria and toxins, all those things, it's making sure that that stuff doesn't intercirculation. Because if that stuff intercirculation is floating around in the body, the immune system is not going to like it. It's going to start attacking it. Leaky gut is actually a huge factor in autoimmune disease because it, it starts by your body attacking something that should not be there. So maybe like bacteria or toxins or something because your gut is leaky and then your body starts attacking your own tissues. So whether it's like rheumatoid arthritis and your body's attacking like your joints or maybe your body's attacking your thyroid, you develop Hashimoto's. It's stemming from poor gut health. So tell me about what you've seen with autoimmune disease because I've I've read mm-hmm. so much about people who have, dare I say the word cure, but reversed <laughs> uh-huh. or cured and not to say that that everyone can do this through diet, but I've, I've heard some pretty remarkable stories. So what have you seen personally in your practice with autoimmune and the change of diet? I've seen some pretty cool turnarounds. And again, functional medicine, it usually doesn't take just one thing. It's usually not just diet that's going to completely reverse that. There are usually several contributing factors, but diet plays a huge role. And I've I've had clients who have Hashimoto's and their antibodies are off the charts and we heal up the gut. We remove cross reactors. So like the gluten protein looks really similar to thyroid tissue. So a lot of times when someone has an autoimmune thyroid condition, they also have a gluten sensitivity or they have celiac. They just don't know it. And so when you remove that from the diet, you heal up the gut lining and you're not like still being exposed to gluten, your body will stop attacking the gluten protein and will also stop attacking the thyroid tissue. And so people can potentially get off of their medication. When they see a conventional medicine doctor, the cure for autoimmune disease for for autoimmune thyroid is, oh, we'll put you on the pill and it'll keep your levels normal and that's all you do. But with diet, you can potentially get off medication because we can stop that autoimmune attack. That's so hopeful. Right. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of our audience, a lot of the people listening to this are women. And so I love talking about hormones because I think hormones affect so much of our stress levels, our mood, you name it. And not just like your hormones during that time of the month, right? So tell us a little bit about the relationship between hormones and the gut and especially with women. Yeah. So when people think about hormones, I think oftentimes we just think about like sex hormones, like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. 
but there's also other hormones play and they all they're all connected so cortisol is a stress hormone i think that's getting a lot more attention now because a lot of people are very stressed but cortisol is another type of hormone and then insulin is a another hormone and that has to do with our blood sugars so a lot of times when someone is having some sort of hormonal imbalance like their estrogen and progesterone is off. It's a blood sugar problem, which diet plays a huge role in. And if your gut is leaky, it's going to automatically increase your stress hormone, that cortisol. When the gut's leaky and things are entering the bloodstream that shouldn't be there and there's attack against that by our immune system, your body doesn't like it. It stresses it out. And so cortisol levels go up. And like I said, these are all really tightly interwoven and intertwined. And so when your insulin is off because of the things you're eating or your gut is leaky and your cortisol is, is really high off the charts, it's going to affect the sex hormones. It's all going to be affected. So not only making sure that the gut is super sealed up and secure and working like it's supposed to, but also consuming the right types of foods and, and keeping blood sugar super stable is all critical for keeping those sex hormones in check. I think a lot of women, they think that like PMS is normal and it's not like we shouldn't have these super severe mood swings. You shouldn't have super painful periods. You shouldn't be like stuck in bed for two days because you're cramping. Like that's not normal. And I think a lot of women have just kind of accepted it as normal, but that it shows that that hormones are off and it can be fixed. And a lot of times diet is going to play a really big role in fixing that and rebalancing things. And that's huge. I mean, I've been on the pill since I was like 16. And then when mm -hmm. I went off of it, I couldn't get pregnant. And the doctor mm -hmm. kept saying it has nothing to do with the fact that you've been on it since you were 16, which I still don't believe is true. Oh, no. But I also think there's a lot of other issues that were going on, like my gut and you know, a lot of now we know mold toxicity and a lot of other things that were my body was mm -hmm. probably trying to fight against. But then after my pregnancies, I was like, okay, I'm never going on those again. And I'm never going to let my daughter grow on those, you know? And then I was like, just like you described, completely like in bed for three days, not able to function like right. TMI, bleeding through tampons, oh. just way too fast. And mm -hmm. so guess what? I'm back on it. So that's one of the things that I'm going to work on in Carpathia is to eventually get right. off of that. I'm so scared because I'm like, I can't live like that. Yeah. And I, and I get that. And, and that's a conversation I have with clients when I, when I tell them, like, yeah, a goal of our, I explain the implications of birth control, what it's doing. There's a really good book called Beyond the Pill by um, Dr. Jolene Brighton. And she talks about the issues with birth control pills, that they're not fixing your hormones, that they can potentially lead to issues later. Like it's definitely going to prevent you from, not prevent, but it's going to make it harder to have a child when you are ready to have a child. And they, the doctors don't tell you that. And they may not even know that, but it's, it's real that it is more difficult to bear a child if you've been on birth control, especially if it's been for a long period of time. So it's important to know that and be aware of that. And also to, to get things in check before you get off of the pill. Cause we, I never would try to take someone off before we fix the underlying issues. Cause you're going to feel really bad. So it's like, okay, let's all these root causes and then take you off so that it's a much smoother transition. It's not a miserable experience. Oh, that's great. I actually have that book. And then I have this other book that I'll link to the show notes as well. I can't remember what it's called, but it's essentially a female doctor that I met and she's amazing. And she's really into essential oils as healing. And it's all about women's hormones and essential oils. So I'll link to that as well. 
Okay. So what about depression and anxiety? You touched on this a little bit that, that the gut can be related and that, mm-hmm. that to me just like blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey guys, Angela here. I have a really exciting announcement to share with you. My 200 hour online yoga teacher training is starting January of 2020. Now I know what you might be thinking. How could I possibly learn how to teach yoga online? I thought the same thing initially, but I've been training teachers for over 15 years in my Dallas yoga studio. And what I've noticed over the past few years is that everyone has become chronically busy to the point of where they can't make the schedule that we create for the in-person training. I couldn't even make it as a mom getting down to my studio seven weekends in a row and every Tuesday night. And there's so many yogis that have this desire to either just deepen their practice, the understanding of the flow, do personal development, get more confidence, or of course, wanting to teach the practice and they just couldn't do it. So what makes this program so great is the obvious part is that there's a 24-7 accessibility to the material and the content. But then we also do weekly live calls because I find that to be incredibly important to your success. We'll go over the exercises together. We'll journal together. We'll meditate together. We'll practice teach together. We'll do all of the things that we do in trainings together. And you'll meet people from all over the world, which is very cool. You can do it from anywhere. So if you travel, if you're on vacation, if you get relocated, it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect your training and your ability to get your certificate. Everything we do is recorded, including the live calls. So it's really a win-win for everyone. So I invite you, if you're just curious, go to my website, AngelaWagner.com, click on yoga. I just rebuilt the page with tons of information, testimonials, frequently asked questions, pricings, the $400 discount that you'll get if you sign up before the 15th of December. And if you're still not quite sure and you want to chat with me personally, we can set up a 20-minute clarity call. That's also on the website. You can book it straight there, get on my calendar, and we can just chat together and see if it would be a fit for you. So I hope you'll join us. So it's really interesting. So we have, uh, we think about all of these neurotransmitters being produced in the brain, but majority of neurotransmitters are actually made in our gut. So the brain and the gut communicate. A lot of people refer to it as like the gut brain axis. There's something called the vagus nerve that goes from your brain all the way down your spine and it, it innervates your gut as well. And so like think about, we see this all the time, but we don't actually make this connection. So let's say you're super nervous, like you feel butterflies in your stomach or you're really stressed out. And so maybe you like don't feel like eating, you lose your appetite because you're super stressed. So we see this connection happening, but I think we don't realize that's what's going on. Like that's why you have butterflies is because your brain is sending a signal to your gut and it can happen vice versa too. So if your gut is super leaky, then it can affect your brain. So a lot of neurotransmitters, majority of neurotransmitters are made in the gut. So if the gut is compromised, you're not going to be making neurotransmitters in the right quantities. And so you can develop anxiety and depression and mood disorders. There's, there's connections even to like schizophrenia and imbalances in gut bacteria. It's amazing. And I could do a whole you know, three-hour podcast just on that alone. But there's definitely a connection between the two. And the types of bacteria in your gut are going to control how many neurotransmitters and what type of neurotransmitters are being produced. So the standard treatment for depression is an antidepression medication, but that's not curing anything. You have to work on root cause to to fix it. It's not 
oh, you have an antidepressant medication deficiency. Like that, that's not what's going on. <laughs> that's not actually <laughs> a thing. That's, yeah, that, that's how it's approached. They're like, oh, like you need a medication to, to fix the depression, but that, that's not what's happening. It's like, well, well, why is this going on? Like, is there a nutrient deficiency? Is the gut leaky? Again, we're, we're going back to those root causes and fixing those so that neurotransmitter production normalizes. Well, and there's, I mean, this is another like huge tangent, but beyond nutrition, there's so many other ways to work with anxiety and depression that are just like not an easy fix. So like, I mean, I'm in the yoga meditation world and the mindfulness practices, and it's just so much easier to pop a pill. And that is not a judgment. I have been on and off antidepressants since I was 20. And so Mm -hmm. I completely get it. But I know for me, like I took myself off this last one. I just, I felt like a different person. It was so weird. And then it took probably three months to get it out of my system in a way where I felt semi-normal again. And I was like, this stuff, every time I go on it and go off of it, I literally feel like crazy and like I have to go away for a while. And because, I mean, I'm just like, I'm in weird pain. I'm like, my brain's feeling funky. Like everything feels awful. And the doctor's like, oh yeah, you just have to get through those first two to three weeks. And I'm like, Mm. yet again, my intuition is screaming at me. Like you shouldn't have to get through this. (laughs) Yeah. And again, they don't tell you like, even with the birth control, like they don't tell you how this can impact you in five, 10 years. There's a, there's a book. I'm trying to think of her name. I'll have to, we can put it in the notes as well, like online, but there's a book that explains how antidepressants work and basically how they do not work. They do not fix the problem and they can lead to more issues later. And a lot of times when someone goes on an SSRI and antidepressant medication, they're having to constantly up the medication. And then you get to a point in maybe 20 years when you can't up it anymore. And now you're reliant on it and you try to get off of it and it's really hard. So it's better to be proactive and, and try to get to the to the root of the issue and and fix it that way rather than dependent on it and kind of in a hole in a in a really hard spot. So, was that book by chance written by Kelly Brogan? Yes, yeah, Kelly Brogan. And yeah, I'm trying to okay. think of the title. Yeah, I know I can't think of it right now. I'll put it in the notes. So I've read that, and then own. yes, it, it yeah. is. It's a powerful book, you guys. She's also uh, well, she's an MD psychiatrist mm-hmm. turned functional medicine practitioner, and her her whole story. I mean, it's really amazing. But I actually took her online course before I found you guys because I was just like so desperate. And so she offers an online course for, I think it was focused on women and healing depression and anxiety and a host of other issues, a lot of the stuff that I was going through. So anyway, okay, we only have a few more minutes, but I want to hit on two really important subjects. One (laughs) is sugar. And we need to talk about this because sugar is in everything, literally. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I consider myself pretty disciplined, right? Like mm-hmm. I own my own business. Like I have two kids. Like, I mean, I've, you know, I do things. And so, mm-hmm. but I've always felt like a massive failure in the realm of my diet, especially with sugar, because I mean, I, I kid you not, I would send my husband to Walgreens to like, go get me candy on like, a daily <laughs> basis. And no one believes me. Like I would tell my yoga students this and they're like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, no, no. really. <laughs> and you said, it's actually not your fault. So explain that. Yeah. So again, this goes back to that gut brain axis. So it's usually not a lack of willpower. And it's kind of it's comforting. My clients say that it is is comforting and relieving to realize like, wait, this is not a willpower issue. It's usually like an imbalance of, of gut bacteria or an overgrowth of yeast, because those things feed off of sugar. And so if there is like an overgrowth of, of candida, for example, um, those bugs will literally 
send a signal to your brain up the, the vagus nerve into your brain and it'll say, feed me. And so your brain's like, okay, let's go get some sugar. And then it's this never ending cycle because the, the yeast feed off of that, they grow, they multiply. It can get really out of hand. So it's not necessarily a willpower problem. It's, it's usually some sort of bacterial overgrowth or yeast overgrowth. And, and again, when, when we fix that, then the sugar cravings start to go away. Sugar can also, it can increase dopamine production, which is like a feel-good hormone. And so if your gut is leaky and we're not making enough dopamine, then your body can compensate and be like, all right, let's get some sugar so the dopamine levels are, are normal. So it can be that too. So a lot of times it's not, it's not a willpower thing. It's, it's something is going on. Your body is sending you a signal. And so we have to figure out what's going on and, and fix that. And the, the cravings will cease. And I can say that that is absolutely true. And I am shocked because mm -hmm. I went on the AIP diet, the Reparavite for six weeks, super, super strict. And I would say within I don't, maybe even a week or two, I was like not even craving the sugar, but I was on such a strict diet and I'm kind of an all or nothing person. So the strict diets actually work for me because mm -hmm. like I like hard and fast rules. Like if you start to give me a little bit of leeway, then I will eat like the whole bag of candy corn. So <laughs> I knew that that was kind of like, that was helping me, but then I went off the diet. So the last two weeks I've just been on sort of more normal eating, but that diet really encouraged me to keep a lot of the good habits. And I had forgotten that I wasn't really eating sugar. And I was at this workshop in Austin last week and they had all these freebies. You'll love it because they had the coconut yogurt that you love, that lava. Oh yes, lava. So great. Yeah. So they're an Austin-based company. So they had all these great treats. Oh, cool. And at the end, they had these macrons and I can eat those because they're gluten-free. And I was like, I just didn't even think about it because I would normally see something like that and just pound it. So yeah. I took two and I ate them and I literally started feeling nauseous. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> and it wasn't because they weren't great. It's just like my body just kind of went into the shock. And so I actually yeah. didn't eat the third one. And I, I literally would never have done that in the past. So it was <laughs> kind of cool, you know? <laughs> and it's freeing. Like a lot of people... When you think about restrictive diets, and, and that's never like my goal is not let's restrict your diet a ton and keep you on this eating these like 15 foods. Like that's that's not the goal yeah. is to have a varied diet that you enjoy while keeping you feeling really great. And so it may seem like kind of restrictive, but then there's like so much freedom, not feeling like oh my gosh, I have to have that. Like I need sugar right now. Well, and exactly. And one of the things my friend that went on it had said to me when I was in the beginning texting her like every five minutes, being like, how do I do this? And she said, like, your palate is going to change. And it was so true. Like all of a sudden, like strawberries started tasting like a candy bar. I was like, this is amazing, you know? So I thought that was very cool. Anyway. Okay. So the last, we saved the best for last because I feel like that's such a oh debated, trendy thing is the gluten-free thing. So most of my listeners know, but I've been gluten-free for almost 10 years. And again, we just, figured out that it was back when I had ulcers and all that stuff. It'll be interesting to see when I get through this protocol if I'll actually be able to eat gluten again. But is gluten in and of itself evil? And should we all avoid it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'll start by explaining how our quantities of gluten exposure have changed pretty recently. A lot of bread that used to be consumed was sourdough bread. And when you when you make sourdough bread, there's a fermentation process that happens and it actually breaks down a lot of gluten proteins. So there's barely any gluten in sourdough bread. I'm not oh, saying that if you, that. yeah, I'm not saying that if you have celiac disease, like go eat gluten, like sourdough bread, like don't do that. But 
But yeah, there's much smaller quantities of gluten in sourdough bread. And then we've also genetically modified wheat. That's a highly genetically modified crop and the gluten content is automatically higher. So that happens as well. And then thirdly, we are actually adding gluten to a lot of products. Like just, it's an isolated product that we're adding to keep the structure of the product really stable because we're trying to keep things on the shelf. You know, bread can be sitting on the shelf for like a month or something crazy and we don't want it to break down. So they'll add gluten to it because it's a really stable molecule. And so the bread's going to last longer. So the quantities we're consuming now are much higher than they used to be. And so I can say like, we should not be getting majority of our carbohydrates from gluten-containing foods. Like that's, that's not going to be helpful for anyone. Because even if you don't have celiac or like a gluten sensitivity, it can promote intestinal permeability. Our body's constantly in like repair mode. So it's constantly, you know, getting rid of damaged cells and creating new healthy ones. And so if you're consuming small amounts of gluten, it's probably going to be fine. Like maybe there's a tiny bit of damage, but your body's able to repair that, no problem. But if you're consuming tons of gluten-containing foods, then your body's probably not going to be able to keep up. And over time, you're going to develop leaky gut and it's going to lead to a whole slew of, of other issues. So in general, I would not recommend consuming large amounts of gluten. As far as how careful you have to be, it's going to be person dependent. So if you have celiac disease, for example, then you have to be extremely careful and, and think about cross-contamination and, and things like that. If you have non-celiac gluten sensitivity, there are different degrees of sensitivity. So you may have to be kind of careful about cross-contamination. You may be able to get away with a tiny bit of gluten every once in a while, but you'll have to be a little bit more careful than the average person too. And thankfully there's testing we can do. There's something called a wheat zoomer, which is an awesome test. So it can not only look at the degree of intestinal permeability, but also if you have celiac, if you have non-celiac gluten sensitivity, if you're sensitive to grains, and so we can guide diet recommendations based on that test. Oh, that's such good information. Well, yeah, I remember reading an article about how like the way we used to process wheat and it would sit like in the sun for two years and it's like, mm -hmm. it was like this long process and a lot of the proteins would break down. So like the wheat we're getting now is just nothing like the wheat we used to get. Yeah. Cause I mean, I remember saying like, cause I'm Italian and mm. I grew up with so much gluten and it's like, well, how, how can I not process it now? But it's even like with the quality of like food in general, like, well, you're, I think you're younger than me, but like when I was young or when my parents were young, like the mm. quality of food that we were eating back then is so much higher than what we're getting now. Yeah. Yeah. It's changed. And I have clients who they do not feel well when they consume anything that has gluten here in the US, but they'll travel, they'll go to Italy and they'll have like uh, some sourdough bread and they're like, I felt great. Like I didn't have any problems at all. So it's not only maybe the gluten, but also the wheat products are, they're sprayed with tons of pesticides. And so that's a problem too. And those things are more tightly regulated in other countries than here. And I hope that that's going to change because I, I think there's more and more awareness of, of that being a problem. Like I hope that policies change and we have tighter regulations, but there is a difference between the wheat here in the U.S. and gluten-containing products in other countries. Yeah, for sure. And I don't, I do not mean to get political, but I will say that these types of things, especially like when I study toxins so in-depthly, there are certain, get educated about what your politicians are voting for, because there were some really awesome things that had shifted with the last presidency that were about to go into 
law for protecting our consumers with chemicals and food, and they've a lot of them have been reversed by the current administration. And so, and that, and like that kind of stuff never makes it to the news because there's so much other right. crazy stuff going on. So, you know, th- I just think that's important to note because a lot of people think we don't have control, but you know, you can get educated, and there are some things we can do. But one question I had about that, and then we have to wrap up, is so would you say? that people eating like organic wheat would have less of a reaction because it's not GMO and not pesticides? Yeah, potentially, yes. I haven't seen that like in practice. So I can't say definitively. And I don't think that there's any literature on that. But just like conceptually, like potentially it could be less problematic. Yeah. Well, and, and they probably still process it in like the fast way, right? Like the, they're not, it's not sitting in the sun for two years. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky question. I don't have a definitive answer, but I would say that when it comes to like carbohydrate intake, there are changes in bacteria that are unfavorable when you're getting majority of carbohydrates from grains in general. So again, like even if it's like organic and non-GMO grains, like you don't want that to be the majority of your carbohydrate intake. You want to be getting carbs from like fruits and vegetables and starchy things like, you know, lentils and chickpeas and sweet potatoes, butternut squash. Those are not going to be as problematic and they're usually more nutrient dense too. There's, they have more vitamins and minerals than something like wheat would. Oh, that's such a good point. I mean, you might as well get more bang for your buck while you're eating. Right. Oh my gosh. So great. Thank you so much for sharing all this. So much. I mean, we could just talk for hours. So we'll have to have you back on again. And you guys just send us questions that you have, but yeah. visit Taylor in the interwebs because she's got some great stuff going on. So her website's plateandcanvas.com. Her Instagram and her Facebook are plate and canvas. And this is, you know, an Instagram that you want to follow and listen to. (laughs) And you said you also have some meal plans on the website, right? Yeah. Yeah. So again, like my goal is like freedom with the client. So like, I don't want someone to be having to follow a meal plan forever, but I do think that that can be helpful to have like some structure. Like if you have a lot going on, you know, your diet doesn't look really great. You can go onto my website and you can do, I think it's a seven day trial um, or maybe like a two week trial of these meal plans. And then if you decide that it's helpful, you can um, sign up to, to pay for them and they're pretty inexpensive. So that can be something that can kind of like jumpstart you. It's structured. You just eat what it says and, and get you feeling better and kind of just get healthier eating habits in place. So I think that's a, the great, a great resource and it's available. Yeah. On my website. Oh, that's great. Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll keep in t- obviously we'll keep in touch since I go to see you, but <laughs> when you have yeah, all the the new things, <laughs> I know we talked before, you've got some courses you're working on some things. So when those are ready to be presented to the world, we'll bring you back on and we'll let yeah. everyone know. Sounds great. And I, I love interacting. So if, if you guys do start following me, like if there are specific things that you would like to see, like let us know, cause I, I want to know what you guys are interested in. I'd love to devote podcast to to questions that are coming up often. So feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Spark. If you have a few extra minutes, please do an act of kindness for us and leave us a review on iTunes and share this episode with your friends and family. It really helps us to spread the word. You can find all the show notes, all the resources, the links, the books, everything we mentioned in this podcast, which was quite a bit, at AngelaWagner.com. You can click on podcast. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Angela Wagner. Remember this week to take the time to give thanks, raise a glass, and discover what it is that sparks you.